You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR and Stick Together acknowledge the traditional lands of the Kulin Nations that this show has been produced on. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and we recognise their ongoing struggle for peace, land and justice. Sovereignty has never been ceded. We live and work on stolen lands, and we recognise the ongoing struggle for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across Australia. Welcome to Stick Together. I'm your host this week, James Brennan. Thanks for listening, and start off by thanking, of course, the community radio network that you are able to listen to this show on on your local community radio station, and 3CR is where we do our work. Uh, and thanks to Community Radio Network for being able to help put this show together and many other great shows across the country. On this week's show, I am speaking to Tom Greenwell and Chris Bonner, and they are the authors of a fantastic new book called Waiting for Gonski, How Australia Failed Its Schools. And it's part of the education series that I have been doing for the last couple of uh, episodes. And we're continuing that, and I would really recommend for people to go out and get a copy of this book uh, because it really tackles some of the really important issues that we've been talking about uh, that really came from the Rudd-Gillard government and their education revolution. So before I kind of finish up here, Stick Together being you know the only national program that focuses on union news, workers' stories, and social justice issues, and uh, glad to be able to bring you another story and if you have anything else a story that you want us to cover or you want to get in touch with the producers please get in touch at sicktogether3cr at gmail.com and i'll speak to you again at the end of the show okay everyone um welcome to another episode of stick together and today we're going to continue our series where we're looking at the australian education system and i'm really lucky and excited to have two guests on the show this week, uh, Tom Greenwell and Chris Bonner. And they've recently completed a book is called Waiting for Gonski, How Australia Failed Its Schools. And I guess, you know, much like the title I um, assume has taken from the famous play Waiting for Godot, uh, you know, we're left at the end of that play still wondering who Godot was. And what is Gonski? You know, I think there's probably a lot of uh, listeners that perhaps don't remember that Julia Gillard's and uh, report and, you know, subsequent kind of changes to the education system that happened while she was prime minister. But I wonder if you guys just to open up and thanks a lot for joining us. If you could just explain a little bit about what the Gonski report was. Thanks so much for, for having us, James. Yeah, look, so, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, uh, the Gonski Review was commissioned by the last Labor government, <clears throat> originally when Julia Gillard was Education Minister, and it was uh, uh, an, an exhaustive kind of comprehensive 18-month review process, um, you know, which involved consultation and submissions from across the community. And in essence, what the Gonski Review recommended is that to improve educational opportunity for Australian school children, we needed a funding system that was needs-based and sector-blind. And in concrete terms, what that meant is that um, there would be a baseline per student amount of funding for each child with funding loadings 
responding to categories of disadvantage, uh, low SES, indigeneity, disability, low English proficiency, um, and students in rural and remote contexts. Um, and, and so, you know, really the Gonski Review at the time, and I think where, you know, Chris and I are coming from in a way is that uh, this seemed like a really powerful response to the problems our schools were facing. And moreover, it seemed to capture the imagination of the community. I mean, mm. David Gonski himself comes from, he was the chair of Sydney Grammar for many years, the chair of the Australian Stock Exchange and so on. And here he was recommending a lot of additional funding. And the report said that three quarters of it should go to public schools because that's where disadvantage was heavily located. Um, and so you, you're right, uh, Waiting for Gonski, the, the title of our book, is a reference to the fact that needs-based funding has not arrived. We're still waiting for it. But we are also trying to um, pose in the title a question in the reader's mind about whether Gonski, in the broad sense of a solution uh, to, to really the declining outcomes in, in Australian education is going to arrive anytime soon on our current trajectory or whether we need to go back to, to the fundamentals. And Chris, you, you spent time both as a teacher and I think as a principal as well for um, a fair bit of time throughout New South Wales. What some of the impacts that you've seen in, in your time as an uh, educator? Yeah, it's interesting. I guess over the, um, since the early 70s, we've seen um, our education system, which for almost 150 years had been fairly lopsided. Uh, you know, we had um, <clears throat> we had public education available to all students uh, and free, and Catholic education that tended to enrol the poor, but they had to pay a fee to get there. And really, the Catholic schools were the poor cousins of public schools in so many communities. But what we did from the 1970s onwards, we made it lopsided the other way around. In other words, we embraced uh, private schools and we funded private schools, but without any accompanying obligations and ways of operating that would be compatible with the inclusive public school system. So what happened then, and it unfolded in the time of my teaching career, is that in most communities, because the private system remained a fee-charging system, they became, they increasingly enrolled those in every community that were, that were simply better off. Uh, because they had to go through that, had to jump through that, those hoops of paying fees. <clears throat> and in some increasing contrast, the public schools, which had to be available to every child from every family and every community, every circumstance and every location. And, and that meant that our schools started to diverge with um, public schools increasingly enrolling lower income and lower SES kids and private schools enrolling those that were able to jump through the hoops and make those choices because... In our system, choice has really only been available to those who can pay for it. So witnessing that as a teacher and a school principal was a fascinating experience. And when you live your career through that time, you really feel what's happening. And then, of course, since I retired, Australia has, uh, or in the last 15, 20 years, we've amassed a mountain of research and data which describes the problem and puts numbers around what's happening. And that really has concerned us to the point where I we both have written material on this 
But we agreed it would be a great idea, Tom asked me, would I join him in this venture writing this book? And I jumped at it because I think now's the time we need to put all this on the table and start mm. searching for better solutions. One of the things that's come up in this series is speaking to teachers and, you know, who have taught uh, in different states and in different types of um, schooling, you know, private and public and so forth. Tom, what do you think, um, and, I, you know, I think one of the things that's come up for them is about the homogenization of the curriculum that, you know, that's become, you know, teaching in WA or South Australia or Victoria, there's a similar, you know, they're teaching the same thing. It doesn't accommodate for perhaps a social demographic in, in that area. Do you think that's a, re- a reflection of the um, changes through the Gonski um, report itself? Or, you know, what have you found in that kind of area in your research? I think, I think uh, so the, Gons- the first Gonski review in, in 2010-11 was really more narrowly confined to funding issues and didn't impact on the curriculum directly. Um, and, and, but, of course, it was at that time and it was one of the kind of Rudd-Gillard government reforms to introduce the Australian curriculum. The, the, the main point I would make is that the Gonski Review, one of its really important findings was that it identified how concentrating disadvantaged children together uh, in the way that, that Chris described was having a, a very negative impact on student achievement. And um, when, when I say that, what, what I'm talking about is we have these kind of fee-charging schools competing against free schools, comprehensive schools competing against selective schools, abundantly resourced schools competing against um, other schools that simply don't have what they need for the educational task they face. And this results in some schools having a lot of kids from very disadvantaged backgrounds. And what... To answer your question, this has an impact on the curriculum because a lot of research has shown that in those schools uh, there is much less likely to be um, subjects offered uh, of a kind of a more academic nature that kind of build a bridge to um, post-school options. Uh, It can lead to a a kind of a, a narrowing of the curriculum. And so in those schools, um, even for students who who really um, would like to have a go at um, a more challenging, a more challenging subject? Uh, it's simply, it's simply not available. Um, so that's, you know, one of the ways in which concentrating disadvantaged students affects the learning experience of of all students. I guess to go to that, you know, to some of the solutions that you look at it in your book, you know, maybe you could outline how do you think. It seemed, you know, it was called the education revolution at the time, um, you know, and it, it did result in a lot of other aspects as well, you know, new buildings for um, lots of schools and, you know, there were uh, lots of different aspects of models of teaching and things that I think that were explored throughout that time. What can you, what do you guys think would be a, an aspect of that you could highlight, um, you know, without giving away all the secrets from the book, we obviously want people to still to buy a copy, but you know, what's something you think that, um, you know, potentially we might have a, a new Labor government in a couple of months' time. What are some of the things that, you know, we could be trying to campaign for a Labor government to take up in terms of um, moving forward with the ideas that came from these reports? Yeah, I think that's a that's the critical question, James. And, you know, we're, we're both educators and we're con- 
committed to, you know, continually improving what we do and continually improving, uh, engaging in continuing school improvement. But Chris and I have written this book because um, we think that's fine and important, but it's going to be constantly undermined if we don't address the basic structural flaws in our education system. Um, and those structural flaws are the, the fee versus free competition, the, the comprehensive versus selective schools, um, the, the, the disparity in resourcing, which is, which is creating these massive concentrations of disadvantage in some schools and, you know, privilege and affluence in others. Uh, and, and why is that so problematic? It's, and, and, and the Gonski report made this really clear. You know, the, the students sitting next to, to, to a, an individual child in the classroom are absolutely critical to their learning experience. They are, you know, if there are a lot of dis, disadvantaged students, then, um, you know, there's going to be much higher demands on teacher time a lot less opportunity for individualised attention, it's much more likely that there will be disruptive behaviour and it's harder to establish high expectations about learning and a commitment to education, to even see beyond school, to where this is all leading and why it matters so much. Mm. Um, and, and so for those reasons, and we talked about um, what happens often to the curriculum um, in that kind of context, uh, the, these what the education researchers call peer effects, are profoundly important to learning outcomes. So the solution is to create a level playing field for all schools to operate on. We, and what we're suggesting is that all schools should be fully publicly funded. They should No schools that receive public funding should be allowed to charge fees or engage in discrimination around enrolment practices. Apart from um, legitimate... Uh, uh, legitimate practices about the school's special ethos. For instance, if it's a Catholic school, preferential enrolment for Catholic students is reasonable. Um, but it's only when, and, and, and you know, this is this kind of um, level playing field is it, uh, it is seems very strange to Australian ears. It's like you can't do that. But actually, internationally, it's very common. And if you look at a place like Canada, um, you know, and you go to a Catholic school, well, it's absolutely free to the user. Uh, and it, that means that a lot more poor Catholics attend Catholic schools in Canada than they do in Australia, where they're largely excluded from the Catholic system. It, uh, and what that means is that social disadvantage is much more evenly spread across the whole system. And these really negative peer effects that are, are, are causing so many difficulties for kind of comprehensive public schools in Australia are much less pronounced. Um, so that, that is what we're arguing. And we're arguing that we really need to go back to these fundamental assumptions um, and, and question them critically. There's a funny thing there, uh, James. <clears throat> the, the reality now, uh, or for the last decade even, that the, the idea of fully funding most private schools uh, and I say most because not all would want to be part of that because the condition of funding is that they don't charge fees and they'd be open to all students. But the idea, and people would react to this by saying, oh, goodness gracious me, that would cost a mozza. Uh, it would cost a fortune. But we're actually now in financial terms turning, we're turning all private schools into public, in government schools. Because if you look at schools enrolling similar students, they're getting from government 
pretty well similar amounts of money per student. So it's not going to cost a lot more. And that's changed, but our understanding of that, um, so the, the conversations we have about this also need to change to take into account these new realities. It wouldn't cost more. In fact, I laugh when I think of where state aid symbolically began in Goulburn, you know, the state government especially caved in because I thought, oh, my goodness, if all these kids come to government schools, it's going to cost a fortune. If all the students in Goulburn now in the Catholic schools went to the public schools, the saving to the taxpayer, the Australian taxpayer, would be $2 million each year in recurrent funding. In other words, we can afford it. We should now be looking at making non-government schools, aligning non-government schools with the same operation obligations and accountabilities of government schools. You're listening to Stick Together, brought to you by the Community Radio Network, produced in Melbourne at 3CR Studios. And this week we are speaking to Tom Greenwell and Chris Bonner about their book, Wedding for Gonski, How Australia Failed Its Schools as part of a series on the Australian education system for Stick Together. And I think, you know, that economic argument is really important. You know, well, it is very important and it's something that I think can have a big impact in trying to shift um, certain, certainly people perhaps that are unsure about how to implement some of this change and perhaps some of the people that make the change. But, you know, if, if politics was just about economics, we wouldn't lock up refugees in detention centres or um, start foreign wars and things like that either. So... I wonder, you know, I guess on that kind of point, how do we how do we win the um, you know the propaganda battle? You know, what kind of role do um, teachers, you know, the the unions, um, you know, parents have in being able to be a part of making that change? So I think the starting point, James, is that the reason why we don't have needs based funding today is because of the power of the private school lobbies, and specifically the demand that no school loses a dollar. That made, has made the whole thing inordinately expensive and, and, and has delayed and distorted the delivery of needs-based funding. But let's just think about what that demand did that no school, really no private school, lost a dollar of funding. It effectively conflated the situation of the wealthiest, most overfunded private school in, in the um, most affluent suburbs of our capital cities with other non-government schools which actually were in disadvantaged communities, um, often had a lot of disadvantaged students, were not terribly well-funded, and where the parents had to pay some fees for their children to go there, even though they weren't necessarily that well off. And so why the No School Losers a Dollar demand was so powerful is it, 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 it used those disadvantaged non-government schools as a kind of ideological shield when... Uh, there was an attempt to focus on on why taxpayer funding was going to really exclusively and abundantly resourced private schools. And so we're not going to make any progress until we um, really uh, uh, kind of decouple this coalition that exists between um, the you know traditionally Catholic, more disadvantaged non-government schools and the more exclusive, wealthy, traditionally Protestant non-government schools. We need to broaden the base of support for public education and actually, you know, make friends with those kind of con- what we, Chris and I call the conscientious choosers, people who are choosing a school to reflect, you know, a commitment to an educational or religious ethos, which is quite a different motivation to the elitists who want taxpayer fueled resource advantages in what are effectively gated communities. If we as public education advocates can make friends 
with the conscious conscientious choosers will be in a much stronger position to to critique and and defeat the elitists. The, the point you raise also, James, about who do we appeal to and how do we appeal is really, really important because public educators traditionally have appealed on the grounds of social justice and equity and equivalent opportunities for all kids, that sort of stuff. And, and that's really important. We can't walk away from that. But in our book, we do a lot of appealing to, uh, look, to generalise the big end of town, pointing out, for example, the enormous um, misdirection of spending in this country, duplicating our provision to schools in the interests of choice. That's a very expensive. Overfunding schools by both parents and government in, in clear evidence of the fact that it doesn't make much difference. In fact, we are overspending in recurrent funding terms $5 billion each year, whereas that investment would be far better if it went to schools where students are underperforming. Um, so these sort of arguments are, are different. Yeah, we talk about effectiveness and efficiency um, in that sort of appeal to those that are concerned about money, because we know we can do all this better and it wouldn't cost a fortune. But we have to we have to be serious about the sort of restructuring that Tom's talking about. We're going to um, have to finish up soon, guys. But I guess um, just to go back a little bit to the report, and I think, you know, it was quite and, um, you know, as Tom said, there was a number of different aspects of that over um, a few years and, and, you know, changes to the report as it, as it went on. Um, you know, what was the consultation process like within that in terms of, uh, you know, speaking to educators, speaking to the unions and finding out, um, yeah, I mean, what was the consultation process like there? And, you know, if, if something like this was to happen again, you know, what kind of changes do you think would need to happen to get some of the um, changes that you're both talking about? Mm. The consultation process was impressive, I believe. I mean, I was, my school made a submission to the Gonski Review, and we were one of 6,000 or 7,000 public schools across the country who did that. Uh, and, you know, I think it was a, a really consultative and um, comprehensive process. But the Gonski Review recognised was politically savvy and it recognised the demand of all the key stakeholders. That included the key demands of the Australian Education Union, but also of the the Independent Schools Council and the National Catholic Education Commission. And it chose a path, um, it, 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 it chose a kind of a political middle ground. And that was most apparent in the fact that it was the review itself that really ensured that even the wealthiest non-government schools would not lose any funding. So it was highly pragmatic. What Chris and I say is not so much to be critical of that pragmatism because they they were they were confronted with you know very real political constraints. We actually have to address those constraints. Why were the private school lobbies so powerful? Why do they have such a hold on the debate? And we believe it's because of this, what we call this coalition of the rich and the religious or the elitists and the conscientious choosers, which mean that when we try to talk about the injustice of the way taxpayer funding privileges some, the conversation is always shifted to, oh, but we have a right to choose and, and so on. We need to address that before any review or any politician is really going to be able to um, um, make progress in this space. Yeah, it's, it, Again, it's become far too expensive because we because the system is so inefficient. Um, it desperately needs that structural change that we're suggesting. I mean, in a sense, Gonski, the review walked away from some of those issues. And, and we're not surprised by that. 
this stuff is really hard. What political party is going to readily jump at the sort of solutions we're offering? But so when you, you, you're asking about what would we do differently next time, we would want any review, any new start to have a look at the essential structures in our hybrid public-private system that get in the way of student achievement, that are creating the gaps between schools, even between public schools, I might add too, there's gaps, big gaps there. And, and we have to, if we don't address that, we're just going to continue um, counting up the huge cost, not only the cost in schools, but also the downstream cost of looking after, picking up those people who don't benefit from the way they should from their school education. We touched on it um, a little while ago, but the impact that COVID has had on teachers, on on young, especially, you know, as Tom mentioned, vulnerable young people who perhaps not as engaged in, in schooling um, as others or, you know, those with learning difficulties. And But it's also really, it's exposed uh, millions of parents to the work that the teachers do and to have perhaps, uh, you know, a better understanding of their own child's um, learning and, you know, where they're at with their education. Uh, I think it's a really important time. The book, you know, probably in the last, um, you know, 12 years since the first part of the report came out, couldn't have come out at a better time to intersect with that moment and say, hey, we know that everyone has been talking about what a great job the teachers have been doing. Well, here's something that, you know, the teachers are doing their best in a really difficult situation. And yeah, I really urge uh, other people to get out and get a copy of the book and I really appreciate Chris and Tom coming and sharing your uh, really passionate uh, thoughts and, and responses um, for how we can improve the education system. Thanks so much. Yeah, we really appreciate it. You've been listening to another episode of Stick Together and I am your host, James Brennan. And on today's show, we heard from Chris Bonner and Tom Greenwell, uh, speaking about their book, Waiting for Gonski, How Australia Failed Its Schools. And we touched on a lot of things throughout the interview talking about the Gonski reports and how that has broadly affected the Australian education system. And this is a part of an ongoing series on the Australian education system in which we are speaking to uh, teachers, educators, uh, authors and others from part of the education system. I've got a couple more episodes of this series to go and if you would like to get in touch with myself or with any of the other Stick Together producers, you can do so at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stick around and hear plenty more from Stick Together from Annie from Rebecca or Jackson, the other producers and presenters. And if you've got a story that you'd like us to cover or you want to give us some uh, information or feedback about something, um, as I said, please get in touch. Our podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or wherever you get your podcast from. As, uh, thank you to 3CR for uh, all the support and use of your resources and studio here in Melbourne where we produce uh, this show and of course thanks to the community radio network for your support as well for stick together and as i said before many other great uh, shows that are you're able to hear this show all across the country on community radio so thanks for listening and remember wherever you are whatever you do there's a union for you until next time stick together <laughs>
This government had an idea and parliament made it long. Seems like it's illegal to fight for the union anymore. And which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Set off to join the picket lines, but together we cannot fail. We got stopped by police at the county line. They said, "Go home." You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.